Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Real people, real stories, real hope. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host, and joining me as always, my co-hostess in life. She is my beautiful wife. Her name is... Just Jen. And you're along with us as we keep the hope train moving on down the tracks. Choo-choo. That was a good one. Yeah. I like that. Hope train moving on down the tracks. It's a moving. How you doing today, my beautiful wife? I am super fantabulous, super califragilistic, expialidocious. Yeah. I did good, huh? You did. I died right there with you. <laughs> Super califragilistic expialidocious. Now spell it. Uh, no, don't. Don't. No. We don't have time for that. Yeah, we don't have time for that. Nobody got time for that. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, nobody does. I do. Hi, stop. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> I am doing super califragilistic expialidocious. You just asked me, but I'll say it again. Well, I just, you know, it's one of those things. I just, sometimes I like to check in more oh, than once okay. just to make sure that, you know, My I got, I got the real, real, yeah. right? Like I got hey, the real, real. If you know anything, I'm as real as it gets. I do happen yeah. to know that right. very much. Well, zero filter. I tell you, tell you how it is and yeah, that's just what we do. You surprised me there for a second. I think you said zero, and I heard the F start to, I'm like, whoa, where are you going with this? Because <laughs> sometimes you say something else other than that. Yeah, well, that's not the time. I know. Well, I'm happy to have you here. I'm happy to be doing this Hope Radio podcast. I've got a great interview schedule with mm-hmm. somebody that we, we used to hang out with to some degree. Right. Well, we used to interact with this particular person on a regular. Someone that we used to know. Somebody that we No, used. don't sing. <laughs> You just ruined my moment. I was about to be a Celine Dion. That wasn't Celine Dion. That was like um, Usher. No, was it like like who's it? Sam. That really pretty boy. Sam. I don't know. Uh, I'm not gonna say. Elton John. Did I sound like Elton? No, it's no. Justin Bieber. Oh my gosh, who sings that song? I don't know. Okay, just go and I'm gonna Google it. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe, maybe we should. I, I'm I'm totally off the rails here, but I think I think we should start doing a little funny. Like it's time. I think it's time to tell jokes because jokes are always funny, especially mine. Yours are funny. Yeah. Well, then why don't you go? My jokes are always hilarious, even when you don't laugh ninety percent of the time. My jokes are still funny. They're funny to you, but we've we've actually asked all of our listeners, and they say my jokes are funnier. Uh, you asked the wrong listeners. No, apparently. I ask them all. <laughs> they're and they're all right. They're not wrong. All right, so here here we go, and mm-hmm. we got a special guest in the in the audience. So we're we're gonna see if he laughs at this one. We'll see if he thinks mine's more funny or if yours is more funny. Okay. All right, you ready? Yep. The early bird might get the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. The early bird gets the worm, but the no. second mouse... Why, why, why are I we feel, talking about... I feel like this was funny. The, the early bird might get the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. James, did you get that one? It went over what? James's head and mine. Okay. You guys are horrible. <laughs> Somebody you know out there is listening and they laugh. I don't even they think they I need to tell loud. a joke because that did, was pretty did funny. Did you see how much we I laughed when I read it? I did. So I was expecting it to be really funny. But I don't understand what the bird and the mouse and the worm. The adage, the early bird gets the worm. You've heard that, right? Yeah. The early bird gets the worm. Yeah. But the second mouse gets the cheese. Why? Because the first mouse got got oh. hit, got didoed. Oh. Is not there. Come, Jennifer, come on. I don't like it. The early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. I don't like that one. Why? That one wasn't funny. Okay, let's hear yours then. The No. <laughs> I, <laughs> what do you mean, no? <laughs> now I need to hear your joke. Okay. If mine is not funny, I want to hear your joke. Okay, I'll tell you my joke. You ready? Right. Yes. Okay. Okay, what do French fries do when they meet after a very long time? What do French fries do when they meet after a very long time? Um, I don't know, disintegrate in my belly? Uh, they catch up. <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha!
James is over here laughing. Look just at want you, you both. To know. This is not fair. I will tell you what. This is not at all fair. Both of you. I mean, you laugh at that joke, but yes. you won't laugh at mine. It's because it's stupid funny. Stupid funny is funny. Stupid and funny is stupid. No, it's super funny. No, it's not. Yes, analytical oh jokes are just not funny. Because a word to the audience. Do you? Is there anybody out there that's married where you have two completely different senses of humor? Yes, everybody. It's just us. It's everybody. I feel alone. <laughs> I feel misunderstood. It's like you like to tell smart jokes that make With you think. Smart thi jokes? No, you just need stupid funny <laughs> jokes. That's what makes us laugh. James, I'm going to have words with you later, my friend. But I'm going to tell you, you this. I like mustard on my fries. What the? Yeah, do you when, like mustard? When have you put mustard on your fries? Okay, better question. When have I eaten fries? When have you put <laughs> mustard on your fries? I've been with you in a high long time. In high school. Do you I was remember? with you in high school. We used, we used to put mustard on our fries. I don't remember none of this. Do you know how long I worked oh, at Akita's with you? And I never saw you once put mustard on fries. Oh, This is like a new dang revolution. I didn't eat the fries there. Realization. They have whatever the you call fries. it. They don't, I don't like those fat fries. What? I don't like the fat fries what are non-fat fries in and out mcdonald's oh those Burger are non-fat fries well different kind of fat <laughs> <laughs> they're all they're all fat fries but like the fat steaky fries i don't like those no those are too wedge fries yeah i don't like that yeah. i just i like the crispy fries <laughs> Yeah, with if, you, if you did, if you didn't know, Jen's a foodie. I think with we've mustard. gone off the rails here. We're, this is a show about hope, Jennifer. We should do a show about Not food. What we should do a show about because food. food is hope. It is for some. Yeah, like yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's get on. Let's get on with our interviewed guest. We've completely gone off the rails. Let's get back on the hope train rails. All right. Okay. So I want to tell you about Courtney Hansen. Okay. She's somebody that we used to know. We used to go to the gym mm -hmm. that she worked at. Mm -hmm. And so we just got reconnected through our good friend, James, who yes. introduced us to her. Okay. And she is the author of Within, Healing Through Sacred Feminine Archetypes, Awaken the Goddess <gasps> Within. Awaken the Goddess. This I, is going to be great. You should pay particular attention to this because I want to see what the awakened goddess looks like oh. in you. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So that's what we're going to do today. Be careful we're gonna... what you ask for. Oh, no. <laughs> True. I just realized I might have gotten myself in trouble. That's like, be careful what you pray for. Right. Oh, no. Yep. I I might need to come on to the show later and be interviewed by somebody else to by talk me. about how I overcame the I need to interview, interview you. You need to interview me? Yeah. That'd be fun. That'd be funny. What? <laughs> It'd be a funny interview. Oh, my gosh. Let's get to Courtney. How about I pick up the phone and call Courtney? By the way, did I mention that she's a, like, big-time, like, Instagram influencer as well? Yes. She's got lots and lots and lots and even more lots of followers. That is right. So she's going to be a best-selling author, mm -hmm. is what I think. And she's a she's a one of those influencer types, too. One of those influencer types. So let's call her up and get her on the line. Let's do it. All right, here we go. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome to the show, Courtney Hansen. Hi, Courtney. How are you doing today? I am so good. How are you? Hey, we are doing fantastic, living our best lives. Uh, right now, it's a little chilly. You know, it's uh, got fog. We got a little overcast, but, uh, you know, we got the Christmas spirit going on, so we're excited. We're excited to talk about hope with you. Yes, I love it. I'm so excited. All right. So, um, you know, I always like to begin, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where do you call home? And uh, are you married? You got any kids? You know, give us a little bit of an overview of who Courtney Hansen is. Yes, I live in cool California. It's an actual city. Very cool and... place to be. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I have uh, three little ones. One is three, one is six, and one is 11. And I have been married for seven years. Oh, that's awesome. And see, cool for us, for those that don't know, is just a hop, skip, and a jump away from us. You're, you're, you're down a pretty windy road and then up a pretty windy road, and uh, there you are. So be beautiful country out there. I, li I like cool. Um, apparently, there it's are, a, yeah. 
awesome place for a lot of people to live. Mm -hmm. Little little bit of elbow room. Post-pandemic, it's a place where you can have some elbow room. It's beautiful. Cool is beautiful. You like cool? I love cool. I know. It's a good place to be. It's just hard to get there over that 49 That's the thing is like, I would live there, but it's just so hard to get out of cool into like Auburn and, you know, Roseville. And it's just a long drive. Windy roads. Do you ever get tired of that, you know, drop down into the canyon, up out of the canyon road? I do. And my kids actually go to school at a private school in Auburn. And Mm. so I drive it several times a day. Oh my gosh. We thought about doing that. We thought about living over there and then driving them to um, school in Loomis. Yeah. I just didn't think I could do it every day. I think you probably would have murdered me or I would have murdered you by now if that was the case. (laughs) And that would be a different podcast. That would be definitely a different podcast for sure. Well, awesome. Well, you know, we're all about hope here at Hope Radio Podcast. And um, I know offline you and I had a chance to visit and uh, chat a bit. And I was just blown away about by your story. And so... You know, I'll let you unpack it wherever you'd like to begin, but um, I do know you've seen your fair share of adversity and you've been able to weather that and I feel like you're thriving now. So why don't you start wherever you'd like to start and shed a little light uh, with our audience on your life and uh, we'll talk a little hope. Yeah, I'll just do a little time-lapse synopsis here. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, Okay, perfect. So um, growing up, I did not have a mother figure or a mom in my life. I just had a dad who was very wounded himself and very abusive. And that's what I thought was normal. So I never saw like a healthy marriage. I never saw a healthy relationship. And my self-confidence was that of an aunt because my whole life I had just kind of been there to serve my dad. And when I was convenient, I was convenient. And when I wasn't, I wasn't. Um, as I got older and I started to have relationships myself, I got in this pattern of just self-sabotage and I had no idea how to maintain a relationship. And if something was good, I would ruin it because I thought that's what I deserved. When I was broken, I was so wounded. I was so in pain, but I had no idea how to pinpoint what my wound was or where I needed healing. And so from a very young age, I started masking it with alcohol and drinking. And that was my comfort. That was how I was able to put a Band-Aid on to not feel what I was feeling of abandonment and not being wanted. And this led up until... My now let, let me and, let me let me pause oh, you there for because I, I want to ask you a question about that because you mentioned your, your dad being um, somebody that was abusive. Was it physical? Was it um, was it emotional? Was it you know like so? What form did that take? So as a kid, I, the reason I ask is that. I, I grew up with a lot of self-confidence issues as well because I had a stepfather that used to speak, you know, horrible things about me. I'll never be successful. I'll never amount to anything. I'll never do this, never do that. And some of those words, man, words have power. I will tell you what, and they stick with you and they stay with you. And so I'm just curious in what form, you know, some of that, that parental trauma that you experienced came Yeah. So I know a lot of people that words thrown around kind of loosely too. Um, I got both. And so I, you know, like for punishment, this is a good example. When I was younger, I went to school with makeup on and I think I was in seventh grade and I washed it off before I got home, but I missed some mascara or something. And in front of my friends that were over that day, my dad took the back of a shop vac vacuum, you know, like the attachment and had me lean over the couch and would thank me with it. And so, and he, you know, all kinds of stuff pushed me around. So it was physical, but for me, the physical wasn't nearly as bad as the emotional. So up until my thirties, he would call me, can I catch on the show? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Yeah. Well, yeah, I say that because <laughs> you're like, go, I have the worst, worst, worst sailor mouth. So, but yeah. Oh, beautiful. Okay. Some shows are like no cussing. Jen, Jen will let it roll out, man. You pull out in front of her in the wrong day and the wrong situation, and she'll about recite every word that you've ever heard. I don't even usually talk on these podcasts, but I'm going to tell you yes. Okay, beautiful. So he would call me names like, you know, you're a dizzy bitch, you're a cunt, you do this, go get a real job, go. So anything, I've always had that entrepreneurial uh, mindset, and it was always wrong. It was always not his way. It was always not good enough. Um, and I was always just less than. It was 
get me fucking this, do fucking that. You don't do this. You don't do that. And so nothing was ever good enough. I would be in any relationship my entire life. And he would not want me to be in a relationship because it wasn't the right person or it wasn't the right um, time. And he would, you know, cause these huge conflicts within my relationship. Um, he's done it my entire life. And so I literally was just always not enough. And you always felt not enough and you always were looking for, I would imagine, love and acceptance and, and well-being and not having any good examples of what that looked like. It, you know, that can feel like you're, you're swimming in an ocean about five miles off the coast all by yourself. Yes, exactly. So on a very deserted island. (laughs) (laughs) True. And so, I mean, how much do you think um, not having a mom in the family played into some of that as well? I mean, in other words, it doesn't sound like he was an awesome dude, you know, obviously. But, um, you know, I would, I would think it would be difficult to n- grow up without a female figure in your life, too, to, to help mitigate some of that. Right. And that was really a double-edged sword because I know the word narcissist is thrown around like candy nowadays, but I can say from the bottom of my heart, like to a dictionary description, my father and my mother are both narcissistic. And so that made it really hard because they both, and my, and my dad, it's very difficult because he can have a heart of gold, but his own personal trauma, he never dealt with. So he stays in that sympathetic nervous system of fight. And so his way to deal with things when they don't go his way is to fight or to make you feel less than because he has to have control. So all of his aggression and all of his personal trauma was taken out on me because I was his only family member. So I was his only person that was ever close to him and that hadn't left him. And so I became this kind of safety punching bag, if you will. And it would be go away, come here, go away, come here. Now, to your question on not having a woman figure, that was really hard for me because I never had that like mother archetype. I never knew how to embody that nurturing. I was very much so in masculine energy. I was very much so a hustler. Um, And in relationships that came across too, like I did not know how to be that feminine person. Like I didn't even know how to make macaroni till in my late 20s. (laughs) And (laughs) so... You know, like the little things that a mother teaches you, you really don't think about this unless you don't have a mom. Like I didn't have, and I had this really weird relationship with my mom where she wanted to be around me when it was convenient for her. And anytime that I was inconvenient or anytime that I triggered her, and I was a lot like my dad um, for a very long time. And so having that behavior would trigger the hell out of her. So she would come around for a little bit and I would do something or say something and it wasn't right for her. And so she would just have no problem not talking to me. Um, so it was very much so like I never had a space of belonging. Yeah, that's, that's gotta be so tough. You know, Jen and I've talked about that before and in, in today's society, it's really difficult to find really good examples of what a well-rounded, healthy, familial, relationship looks like especially you know in the in the media or in the public eye etc I think that's part of the reason that you know I look at Chip and Joanna Gaines and I look at the success of their show and I think a lot of it was attributed to people you know having a window into a healthy you know relationship a God honoring great with their kids family balance time all that kind of stuff but to your point like it's hard to find that it's hard to find those types of examples and if you're not raised in that kind of a world it really kind of can leave you lost I would imagine. And so, you know, relative to your circumstance, I mean, did you get in trouble in your teens in high school? I mean, like, so how how did, how did this trauma, you know, verbal, emotional, et cetera, sometimes physical, how did that manifest itself in your life? Yeah. So I, again, so back to having parents who are narcissistic, they didn't know how to parent properly. And so, for example, like my first time I ever smoked weed, um, I, instead of like my dad sitting down and talking to me and being like, hey, you know, this is what this is. Let's not do drugs. I got the cops called on me and got put in jail my very first time smoking weed. Um, And this just became a pattern because his father was an alcoholic and had tried to commit suicide and failed. And so he had all of this 
alcoholism within his family that he had dealt with. And so for a teenager drinking to him, that was just unacceptable. And if it was going to happen and he couldn't control the situation, then he was going to make sure that like he didn't have to deal with it. So his, my dad is a cop caller. And so anytime that I would do anything wrong, he would call the cops. Well, when I was in high school, a CPS case was open because I had bruises and things like that. And a CPS worker would come out to the house and see, you know, how things were going weekly. And we lived in this tiny little place. I'm from Seattle. And we lived in this tiny little place called Everett. And it was in the ghetto. There were shootings all the time. Like, it was horrible. Um, and my, it really changed and pivoted when my grandmother passed away. She was super wealthy. And we lived with her until I was 12. And when she passed away, my dad, she left my dad everything to care for me. And he had a couple million dollars and it was gone within two years. We moved to Illinois and I used to always get asked if I was a military child because we, my dad did online dating. And so he'd meet a girl and we would move to a different state and then it wouldn't work out. So we'd move back to Seattle and then he'd meet a new girl and we'd move to a different state and it wouldn't work out. We'd move again back to Seattle. And I think I went to like six different schools before ninth grade. Oh man, that sounds like Jen and I, it sounds like, uh, our, I mean, not the moving away, coming back, moving away, but just moving in general. Like Jen and I share this in common that, uh, the first five years of school, I didn't finish one year of school at one place, you know, all together. So you're always the new kid. You're always, you know, like having to make new friends. And then right about the time you'd make new friends, it's gone. You're out again and you had to go somewhere else. And so, you know, that transient life makes it very, very difficult for you to feel comfortable putting down roots or feel comfortable to let people in because you're just imagining when's the next time that I'm going to have to, you know, just be yanked out and gone. Right. And I almost created like this alter ego within high school of, you know, becoming this party girl and becoming wanted and becoming, that was the only time I felt accepted was when I was at parties and we were laughing and having a good time. And I would constantly run away and steal my dad's car and like normal teenage stuff. You know, you, I, I look back now and I think I was this horrible child, but in reality, I was doing normal, dumb teenage stuff. For me, it was just different because every time that I did something dumb, I got thrown in juvenile hall. Oh, jeez. Man, that had to have been traumatic in and of itself, you know, to, to deal right. with that. And it's, it, you must have felt like there's no way you, you couldn't make any mistake. You know, either you have to be yeah. perfect in your father's eyes, which was impossible, or not make any mistakes. Because the first time you make a mistake, man, mm -hmm. you're going to be, you're going to be. I, I think you needed to be a little bit more sneakier. <laughs> Because I did that I stuff too. I, do. I did that stuff too, but I just didn't get caught. So you, yeah. yeah. Well, unfortunately, I was my dad's life, so <laughs> yeah. there was he nothing was I was going to do. Mm -hmm. Yes, that wasn't going to get caught. Um, but then my senior year, I um, had really realized, you know, oh, I get attention if I do this, this, and this, and. It almost became like this game as a kid. To that was how I felt loved was negative attention and. Um, I had done something. I don't remember what I did something. And my dad was getting ready to move to Indiana with a new girl. And I was, I was going into my senior year in school and they sent me away to this nine month, all girl lockdown rehab. And I was not doing drugs. I was not doing anything. I was lying about doing them to attention. Um, and I went in there and it was crazy. Like there were no mirrors. You weren't allowed to shave. You couldn't have razors. And I was in there with like people that really had mental health issues. And it scarred me to be exposed to that because I had never done anything. And so I had to finish my senior year of high school in this lockdown rehabilitation center. And when I got out, I ended up um, really spiraling because I was like, what just happened? Like, I just lost a year of my life for something that I don't even know what I did wrong. And after that, I just made it a point that I was going to take care of myself and I was going to do these things. And I got into this point of the subconscious where things would start to go good and I would start to spiral. And so at like 19, I had this overwhelming urge to have a baby. Like, that's all I wanted was to be a mom because I just wanted no unconditional love and I knew if I had a child I would love someone and they would love me back and so that's all I wanted was to be a mom and so I ended up I had a, like I have fertility issues in general and so I ended up uh, taking a job at a gym where I met you guys yeah. <laughs> and um, 
I ended up having total like whoopsie pregnancy by my boss. And um, that is where my oldest son came into this earth. And after that, my world changed. Like I completely didn't know how to be a mom. I realized from a very young age of being 21, I thought I had it all figured out and I had no clue who Courtney was. And I went into immediately just being a mother. And that was my, you know, that was my role and that's what I was here for. And when he was taken away, when he did see his biological father, it was really hard for me because I felt lost. I didn't have a sense of knowing who I was or who I was meant to be or what I was supposed to do. So I would just party the weekends that he was gone. And when I had him, I was just in total mom mode. So fast forward, life was great. I ended up um, finding my husband when my son was nine months old and we um, lived happily ever after. Um, I had two more babies and Everything was great for a very long time. I was a functioning alcoholic because drinking wine every night is totally acceptable if you're a mom, right? Like that's what social media tells you. And so, you know, I'd have my bottle of wine, but I was cooking dinner and I was like mom of the year and I was like the Pinterest mom and I had this like Etsy shop that was super successful and making six figures a year and I was like, yeah, everyone was you know, would come to me and I had this mommy blog and that's how the sweetest little life started. So it was a mommy blog and I would talk about, you know, all things parenting and all things that it was nothing about me. It was nothing about my truth. It was nothing about my pain. It was just, I had found kind of my groove and I was miserable. Like I inside would wake up with like killer anxiety. I would go to bed with this major mom guilt of not being good enough or missing something, or yelling at my kid, and it was just this, like, really ugly cycle. Well, then, my third child, we had really tried for and had a few miscarriages, and I finally got pregnant with him, and from the minute that I got pregnant, I was sick, sick, sick. Um, There wasn't a day for seven months that I wasn't throwing up, and I was bedridden, and he ended up coming at 32 weeks, and I had a C-section and he was in the NICU. And so I didn't even get to see him. They just swept him away. So I was walking like five minutes after my C-section. Like mm-hmm. I, I just needed to see my baby mm-hmm. because that was all I knew was like, again, I was just in that, like my sense of being was being a mom. And if I couldn't care for my child, no one else could. And so I went into major shock within my nervous system. I had major hormone drops. And then my husband um, got a promotion at the fire department that he's at in San Francisco, and he had to be gone for six months. So I was in the hospital by myself because he was caring for my other two children. And I was in there for about three days, and then they sent me home. And I will never forget leaving the hospital without your baby for anyone that has been through it. It's like mm-hmm. the worst feeling in the entire world. Oh. Um, so I went home and immediately just started drinking. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to drink wine. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And I spiraled so hard. Um, he came home, uh, my baby, about four weeks after being in the NICU. Mm-hmm. And I, we kind of got adjusted. And a week later, my husband had to leave for the promotion. So he was gone. And I was here alone with major postpartum depression. I had no idea what postpartum depression was. And keep in mind, back to the beginning of the story, I was raised by a man. So postpartum depression was a cop-out that women did that were weak. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, that's what postpartum depression was. I'm like, I'm fine. I just need to fight. Like, I just need to keep going. I'm strong. I'm brave. You know, all the things. Um, the affirmations only get you so far when you're <laughs> in that mental stage. Yeah, well, especially when, <laughs> especially when I, I feel like you know, for you, there was there was so much in your past that you probably had to stuff, yeah. you know, and the mm-hmm. and the and the and the challenge with stuffing stuff is that you can only do that for so long before it starts to bubble up to the surface you know like you just can't continue to to do that and I think what you were experiencing was the bubbling up right Mm -hmm. the stuff coming up coming up coming up and you know I I can only imagine how difficult that was um you know for you at the time so yeah it's it's uh man I, I feel for you and and Jen as soon as she said she had to leave without her, her baby like we've never had that happen but no. I know you 
Like oh, you would, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people had to do that this past year, maybe with COVID, right? You know, but like it's, I, I do think that that would be an extremely challenging thing to to do. You get a brand new baby and you have to leave. Um, I was incidentally uh, premature myself. Mm-hmm. I was born at 32 weeks. I was yeah. supposed to be born in March, and I was born January 23rd. So I know what that's like to some degree. Well, you I don't, don't remember. really know what that's I know. like. <laughs> Your True. mom knows what that's I'm like. like Thanks for calling me on <laughs> Sean's that. Sean's like, I remember I was born at 32 weeks. Listen, I, I remember. <laughs> I was a fighter. Yeah. yeah. I, I fought. I remember the minute. day I was born, all right? So there you go. Very traumatic. But yeah. Anyway. I love it. <laughs> so you, so you're you're at home now you know your your baby's with you but now your husband leaves and you're like oh just yeah. trying to process where your life's at at that time and trying to trying to I like to call it white knuckle you're mm-hmm. trying to white knuckle through the postpartum depression depression you know it's right. if, if, if I don't give it any energy it's not there kind yeah. of thing yeah and so I would go to the doctor's appointments and I would check all the right boxes because I'm fine it's fine everything's fine mm-hmm. and I didn't want to let my husband down and um so let's rewind to I had a major problem with being in a normal relationship. I have abandonment issues. I can't be alone. Like I was a needy bitch. Like I needed <laughs> someone. I needed to feel that. And so because I wasn't okay with me, right? I needed someone to validate. Right. And so I would find people that would do that. And so I would find people to play that role within my life because I was so unhappy with myself. And so baby comes home, I begin to um, just release self-medicate every single night. So I get through the day and I'm like, oh, okay, kids are in bed. I'm going to start drinking. Well, my one bottle a night turned to two bottles a night and um, it got pretty bad. And so I, you know, would sit on Instagram at night and all of a sudden I had an ex from right before me and my husband got together, pop back up into the picture and start to show me attention. And keep in mind, like, I am not working out. I'm not doing anything for myself. I'm just sitting drinking. I'm a mom of three kids. I feel worthless. I feel ugly, like all the things. And so this guy started showing me attention again. And I totally, you know, took the bait and felt alive. Like I felt something when I could feel nothing. Mm -hmm. And it was exciting. It was fun. And it was just texting. So I was like, it's okay. And I had even told my mother-in-law, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm talking to an ex and I feel really guilty. And she's like, why? And I'm like, I don't know. And so I told my husband and he laughed it off and he's like, am I supposed to be jealous? And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that talking lasted for about six months. And then I ended up having a full-fledged affair and I felt horrible and I couldn't deal with myself. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I had no idea who I was or what the hell I was doing. And I knew that my marriage was over. I was unhappy. I hated him. I would have all these conversations with my husband and explain to him, like, I need you to do this or I like can't be married to you. And he just kind of would brush it off and be like, well, what do you want me to do? Like, And because I wasn't being honest with him, he had really no idea about my past. I had, when I met him, had my shit together, really, I owned salons at the time and so he never knew who I was. He knew who I wanted him to know who I was. He knew and who so, you presented uh, yourself to be. He he knew the example, yes. the mask of what you'd created, right. you know, through everything that you'd lived through. You, you, you have to live by a mask. Jen and I are watching this um, uh, Married at First Sight. Like we just watched yeah. an old episode. And there's oh, a gosh, guy. Yes. <laughs> and, that, and that, I mean, that's all the drama. Like you, you watch that show, it's all the drama. But it, it, it's interesting that there's a character, there's a person on there actually that, um, that had to lie most of his life to get by, like create stories to make himself feel better because he was highly insecure. And so like this mask is a problem. Mm-hmm. You, you fast forward in life. And if you, if you've done that habitually, then you, you, you're in a relationship where you can't even be honest with somebody. And it sounds like that mask, you know, you, you, he saw what you wanted him to see because everything else was, was too uh, difficult to try to share. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of it I didn't, before I went through my own trauma healing, I didn't remember a lot of it. Like there were some major parts that my subconscious was like, nope, we're just going to keep this safe in a little lockbox and not share it with you until you're ready. And so Uh, after the, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I had a very similar experience with that. I went through personal counseling for like six years and I know exactly what you're talking about. About four years in, 
my counselor, just a regular session, just asked me this question. And that little eight-year-old boy that had been told he was not good enough, that he wasn't going to mount anything, all of a sudden, man, that boy just came lash. And I just had a flood of emotion that I didn't know where it was coming from and literally just bawling, can't even breathe kind of bawling. And that was that memory coming up to release itself that I had stuffed and kept within. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. And it's so common. I mean, that's what our subconscious are for is to keep us safe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, after the affair came out and I, everything had come to the surface, I thought for sure that my marriage was over, that I was getting divorced. And so I decided to randomly, while I was drunk, buy plane tickets to go to Hawaii with my children for Christmas. And so my husband was at work. I'd packed our bags and I went to go get on a flight to leave. And, um, I got as far as Seattle and that's where my family was from. And at the time I was not talking to my mom or my sisters. Um, and so, cause they had kind of sided with my husband through everything, which is really funny because I come from a family of cheaters. So, um, the fact that they sided with him instead of being supportive to me, I was really resentful and I couldn't forgive them. And I had to come to the state of forgiveness to be able to really, step into my full power and potential. But while I was out there, I got for the first time in my life, quietness to have space to really think about what I wanted in my life and what I was doing. And me and my husband decided to try and work things out. And so I had flown back with the kids and my, we both decided, Hey, we're not going to drink. We're not going to do anything. We're just going to focus on our family and our relationship and really growing. And so this lasted from, you know, January and for about, you know, six months ish. And then we went out to sushi and I think it was my birthday and we decided to have um, like shots or whatever. And I am not sure what happened in that moment. I'm still not sure, but I couldn't stop drinking. And so from when we went there to about a week in, I had just started to spiral. I went in my basement and I found recordings a lot from like the 80s of my parents' divorce case of things that I'd been lied to about. I found out that I was molested at two. I got from my mom, the person that my mom cheated on my dad with. And I found out all these things and I confronted my family and I like through a huge like it was like the two-year-old in me really came out and <laughs> I lost my marbles like I literally was like when you think of insane like I was insane like I've never been like that in my life and it was like everything that you were saying had bubbled and bubbled and bubbled and it like the lava was slow and hard and so I and my husband ended up one morning he was at work again and I had called one of my oldest son's friends to come over and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, I, I can't. Like, I'm hurting everyone in my life. I, I have too much trauma. Like, I am just, I'm done. And I was like, I need to just go reset. Well, I had told her this, that in my mind, I had the intention that I was going to go kill myself so that I wouldn't cause harm to anyone anymore. And so I um, couldn't have successful relationships. I couldn't show love to anyone. I couldn't love myself. I was harming my children. I was swore but never caused trauma to my children. And here I was repeating the same cycles my parents did to me. And I was like, I'm out. Like, I can't do this. And so she came over thinking I was going to Portland to go to a yoga retreat to clear my head. And I was checking into the Holiday Inn in Auburn to go kill myself. And I checked in and uh, my husband is quite the stalker and found some way to track my phone while it was off. And I had police knocking on the door and I was like, God, just let me drink myself because I just want to die. And I don't know who's spiritual or not, but this is my story and exactly what happened. So my grandmother, who I talked about earlier uh, in the podcast, was my rock. She was my person. She was a bad bitch. And she was my role model. And when she died, a piece of me died. And I was in that hotel room. And do you know the barefoot, like, double bottle of wine? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I was, like, seven or eight of those in. Oh, my gosh. I was, like, well, because I was, like, I'm going to go to sleep and not wake up. But I had to pound them fast in order to make this successful. You know, I had this, like, really elaborate plan of how I was going to do it really selfishly and, like, not just go to sleep and not wake up. And so... About the sixth or seventh one in, I had this like god awful scent of passion, which is the perfume that she wore, just like infuriate this room. And I was like, Oh my god, I can't breathe. And I 
literally had heard her voice say, you're not done. Like, stop. And I was like, what? What do we mean stop? And so I turned my phone on and everyone was texting me this like ridiculous text. And my mom, <laughs> my mom did not text me once to back to the, I really do have narcissistic parents. <laughs> and um, my sister was like, if you're going to go, at least don't go this way. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like some real support I'm getting here. And I just kept seeing my kids. And I was like, I cannot do that. What to my kids that my mom does to me? Like my mom does not care if I live or die, which she made very clear in that moment. And so I was like, I, I can't do this to them. And I left the hotel the next morning. And when I came home, my husband and my kids were gone. And I had no idea where they were. And my husband had texted me. He's like, I took them to Reno. I can't have them around this. Like, you need to figure out whatever you're going to figure out or you'll never see them again. And so um, I had to sit with myself and I woke up on July 4th and I was like, I'm done. Like, I am done. I'm going to face all this. I'm going to, I, my brother-in-law had found someone who specialized in trauma healing and I was like, I don't have trauma. Like the trauma is like seeing someone run over, seeing someone shot. Like I don't have trauma. And I agreed to go just for the simplicity of wanting everyone to shut up and stop being on my back. And I felt like walls were caving in and I did six months of trauma and it inspired me to go back to school to be a trauma therapist myself. And I became fascinated in how the brain worked and how our bodies work and how our nervous systems work. And so I went and got all sorts of certifications during this time. Um, Cause really not to use them just because I wanted to understand what was going on with me and how I could heal. And I just focused on nothing more than myself and my healing for a long time. And when I was done, the trauma therapist that I went to ended up hiring me. <laughs> so, wow it kind of came full circle there, but I was able to understand why I was doing the patterns that I was doing and where this was coming from. And so, um, I became really passionate about helping other women to understand that they're not alone. And that trauma is very, uh, very sneaky and healing is accessible to anyone. And so I created custom healing modalities and really started studying Carl Jung and his psychology and archetypes and the different embodiments that we can do. And so I wrote a book about that. So healing is accessible to everyone and making it accessible to anyone. And I really learned the fact of that I can love myself and I'm a pretty cool person and I have a lot to offer the world, but I was so in my head and I had no tools and traditional healing or traditional going to a counselor and sitting on a couch and being asked how I felt about that. It didn't work for me because I like could manipulate any situation because I was used to doing it with my parents my entire life. And so stepping into that and realizing like, what feminine energy was and how to use it and that it was allowed and that it wasn't a bad thing. And all of these things really changed who I was as a person. I look back now at the wounded little girl and that, you know, was trying so hard to be something I wasn't. And I kept, I, I remember I used to always tell people, you know, I just want to find myself. I used to be happy. I want to find myself. I was never happy. I was just functioning. And so being able, I tell people and my clients now that like, it's not about finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. It's about stepping into the person that you were designed to be that, you know, our soul contracts that we believe in them are, you know, we agree to these certain lessons to walk through, to help other people, to serve other people, to lead, to teach. And when we can walk through our own stuff, we're able to help others walk through theirs. But when we're just like a dog chasing our tails, nothing gets done. Yeah, I, fi I find that uh, just really, really profound. You know, it's, it's like the student becomes the teacher. You know, it's like you, you went through what you did and then that led you on a path to really finding some purpose in your life and helping others. I guess the question that I have is that when once you started to begin to kind of unpack some of that trauma, to go through that process, how long did it take before you felt like you were really making some progress on some of those deep-seated issues? You know, I'm, I'm trying to give somebody that's listening an idea or an example that, 
you know, it can be better with work, with the process, if you, if you, if you do the work, but how, how long did it take for you to start to feel better? Yeah. You know, I love this analogy and I heard it at a conference and it really puts it beautifully, but like our heart, right. It's like wrapped in this really tight barbed wire and every wound, every trauma, every situation that we haven't dealt with is like just another circle around with this barbed wire through our heart. And so when we begin our healing journeys, it's like we slowly have to unravel this hot, and I don't know if you guys have ever seen tangled barbed wire, but it's a hot mess, right? <laughs> and so we have to slowly start to take out like these storms within ourselves. And so I felt completely in a fog and out of body for a solid three months because I was, it was like I got hit by a Mack truck. It was a lot to deal with. And there were days that I would go home from meeting with her and I would just have to sit because I was like, what the fuck just happened? Like, I have no, I, I like my brain couldn't process all of it. And she would tell me things. And I was like, I'd go into protection mode over my parents or over my story. And I was like, no, it didn't happen that way. And she's like, no, it really did happen this way though. And, um, so it was a lot of processing. I feel like for the first 90 days and about after six months, it was like, maybe one string of barbed wire got taken out. And then after a year, it was a few more. And then after about 18 months or so, I really started to realize like, oh my gosh, like I, I look back and I, I truly am a different person. And I can talk about things without getting defensive. I can share my story without having to put in tidbits to make me sound or look better. And I can be vulnerable and share that like, whoa, I was a hot mess and I was a rock bottom. But now I can see why I had to go through those experiences to be who I am today. And so I feel like every personal journey is is so unique and so custom. And some people are like, feel better after a month. And some people don't feel better for five years. But I feel like, you know, have you, you guys have kids. Have you ever read that book? Like we're going on a bear hunt. <laughs> have you read no, it, Jen? No, no we, haven't. we haven't. No. Okay. No. Well, it's like we're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. We're not scared. And it's like, we have to go through the mud, not over, not under. And it's like, well, she squirts. But it's like that school to scorch part, right? Like yeah. you have to walk through the mud and yeah. we don't know how long that mud is, but we know we have to go through it. Yeah. yeah Jen, Jen and I've been through those types of uh, circumstances in our life for sure. You know, I, I think the adage that we use is it's like walking through three feet of powder and you know, five miles with no snowshoes kind of yeah. thing, right? You yeah. just feel yeah. like, you know, every step takes like a hundred percent of your effort mm -hmm. to make happen. And it's just a slow process. But you know, I think I think the the thing that resonates with me about your story is that there's people out there that may share some similar um, experiences as you. And I think that the challenge, the reason that we do this this podcast, is that you came to a moment where you thought the only answer was you not being here. And you know, I listen to you now. I listen to the story. I listen to how you speak. I know what you're doing. You know, you're an influencer on Instagram. You've written a book. You're like you're you're helping other people overcome some of the same things that you know, almost took you down. So when I, when I think about that, there's a point in time where everyone goes like, am I, am I, why am I here? Should I stay here? Like what's going on? Like, and just, you know, usually that's the, the darkest point is right before you actually mm -hmm. elevate and rise and something happens. I think that's, you know, Jen and I are very spiritual and, and that's certainly the enemy trying to deceive you and trying to make you think, yeah, you know, the world would be better off without you here. You know, yeah, go ahead and do it kind of situation. Yet, you know, that's that's not the case. You know, but you do have a purpose. And you, I was reminded when you were talking about your grandma with Jen, you know, her, her grandmother loved her. And yeah. we still get the sense that she's with her all the time. Her mom did not, was, and still, Jen does, hadn't talked to her mom in 20 years kind of thing. So, <laughs> My you know, mom doesn't love me. Yeah, I think, she, I think her mom yeah. is a grandiose narcissist. I don't, herself, I don't yeah. love her yeah. either. So yeah. it's, it's fair. <laughs> it's mutual. No love. But, yeah. but like when, when you talked about her presence being felt, I think Jen, you've had experiences yeah, like that absolutely. where you can feel your grandma around you, protecting oh, yeah. you, encouraging you, wanting the best I, for you. I call it the bubble of protection. Like yeah. I feel like it's yeah. everywhere around my kids and us and I just feel safe and sound. Yeah, mm, I love that. Yeah. So the title of your book is uh, what exactly? And is it about your life? Is it about overcoming trauma? Is it about, you know, tell us a little bit about the book that you wrote. Yeah. So the name of the book is called Within and it is healing through divine feminine archetypes. And so the first part of the book is uh, just 
my story, basically how I got where I got. I share my personal trauma letters that I had to write in trauma therapy, um, which if my parents ever read that book, oh my God, it's going to be a <laughs> bad day for them. Um, <laughs> so I know. So I, this week I hit the bestsellers list and I was really pumped. And then wow. the first thing that came to my mind was, oh, I've probably oh. seen it. <laughs> well, if you, if you know anything awesome, about narcissism, bro. right? Like we both know something about narcissism. I, I like to say I'm a recovering narcissist because yeah. it was, it was all about me up until about Oh nine. And then I went through six years of therapy, two years worth of yeah. couples counseling. And like, I've overcome, you know, the me focus, but you know, for, for those types of people, like, like when it's all about them and their universe, it takes, it's really difficult for them to uh, show up for someone else, as you already know. Mm-hmm. So who, who knows whether they will or not, but sometimes they need to see that they need to hear that truth in order for anything to change if it's going to change yeah and um yeah so that was that was huge but the book in general like the first story is just kind of my personal story just so people can realize if they relate or if they don't and then it goes into El Gal which is you know we open up when we're using drugs or alcohol, we open up our body as a portal. I'm going to get real woo here for a minute as mm-hmm. a portal for other entities and spirits to come in because our soul can't handle being to a level of not being conscious. Mm-hmm. And so it goes into detail, scientific proof of that. And then we talk about the ego and then is where the juicy part hits. And it is a healing modality um, step by step for you to explore your own healing if you're at a space that you don't want to go talk to a therapist or you want to do things a little unconventionally and so it breaks down inner child healing and how to truly overcome dissociation and what that means and what that looks like but it's in a very accessible way and after the inner child healing it goes into the sacred feminine archetype so the maiden the mother the crone the wise woman the sage the creatrix um, all of the things and how to embody them because you hear them trending, you hear people talk about them, but you're like, well, how do I get into that space? Like, I don't like to do art. I don't like to do this. I don't like to do that. And so it gives you different walks of life and different ways that you can, activities are in there. There's journal entries in there that it's a way for you to really tap into your divine feminine energy. No matter if you're a male or a female, we all have that divine feminine energy and our world is run in a very masculine way. And so it teaches us really how to embody that and create the balance. It talks about these 12 spiritual laws. Um, it really goes deep into accessing and remembering your soul and why you're here and stepping into your purpose and empowering you to do just that. And the first way to do that is through your own personal healing. And so there, there's a lot in there. Like when I say my heart and soul is in that book, it literally, that book was a, two years of writing. I started the book while I was at my bottom, finished it um, after I did my first TED Talk. And it was really, it was life-changing for me. It was a very healing way for myself to know that I could reach other people and not gatekeep secrets or I wish that I had that when I was in my early twenties to someone hand it to me so I could be like, Oh my gosh, like this is available. That's awesome. I mean, I, I love that. It sounds like an incredible, incredible read and um, I'll make sure that we, you know, post a, a link or in a description of it in our podcast announcement. But I, I was just going to say, you touched on something that I think is near and dear to my heart and Jen will probably reiterate this but jen am i am i in touch with my feminine energy you are very girly what i didn't mean to say it like that <laughs> I, I keep it real i just I'm, you call me the girl in the relationship <laughs> is what you say sean is the chick and i'm definitely the dude with testosterone <laughs> yeah it's just it's the way it's always been it so. is the way that it's always been i will admit and it's that good it's I will, okay it works. I, I, I'll admit I, I did shed a tear this morning in the workout. Yeah. Like you about killed me. Yeah. So like I will say that, you know, sometimes I need to take a more subservient role because you are the master. And I was like, toughen up. We've got this. Well, yeah. She, as she, I, as I <laughs> smile and laugh. She, she goes into beast mode. When as she tries Sean's to train on the floor, like saying bad words. I said a lot of bad words yeah, this did. morning. I said zero. I said all the bad words this morning. I said, change your face. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So uh, one last question as we round out the show here. So I, I want you to imagine, all right, because you, you, I really feel like you've been transformed. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're a, a different person 
certainly than you used to be. So what I want you to imagine is I want you to imagine that there's somebody out there listening right now that's where you used to be. That is a version of your younger self. And so the way I always like to roll this out is to is to ask you, what would you say to that person? Or what would you say to your younger self, knowing what you know now, knowing that you got to a point where you thought that the world would be better without you here, what would you say to your younger self if you could? Could I say two things? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first one is you have to stop caring what other people will think or say about you and do what your heart tells you. And the second one is we make decisions from two places, fear or love. And so when you're making a decision, if you can ask yourself where you're making that decision from, it'll help you to bring some clarity into your choices. Oh, I love that. Very, very good. Thank you so much, Courtney. It was a, it was a fantastic, Mm -hmm. uh, hour spending some time with you, hearing about your life, hearing about your story, hearing about your book. And I just, uh, want you to know that we support you and encourage you to, to share it as much as you can. I mean, I hope it becomes a New York times bestseller for you because I think the impact that your story, I think that that would then shed some light on that. These things didn't happen to you, but they happened for you. And then look what your mission, Mm -hmm. look what your purpose, purpose has become out of that. Mm -hmm. So I, I just, I I think God is good. That's what I say. And I I really feel (laughs) Mm -hmm. like you're on a, on a great path now. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your vulnerability. Yes. Thank you for having me on the show and for shedding hope for so many. It's pretty amazing what you guys are doing. Ah, we, we, we like it. You have become one of our hope dealers. That's right. Not to be confused with dope dealers, you are a hope dealer. You are spreading hope, my we friend. Only, we only deal hope Woo! here. Yeah, we only deal hope around this this shack. <laughs> All right, Jen, what do you think of that interview with Courtney? I think Courtney is freaking amazing, and I love her. She is a like she is an overcomer. She's a goddess. She is well, yeah. Like, hey, if you haven't <laughs> checked out that book, you got to look at that cover. That yep. cover was a little bit revealing. I liked it. It's um, within. I love within, that. Within. Yep. There's a big papaya on the front. There is. Yeah. And you like food. I do like food. So people should check that book out and, uh, and read it. It's not about food, but. <laughs> it's about awakening the goddess I'm within. visual, so. But here, yeah. here's the thing. Here's what I love about God, just mm-hmm. for a second, right? Mm-hmm. So total God thing, right? So she goes through what she has to go yeah. through, has to endure what she has to endure, had a low moment, thought the world would be better off without me. Yeah. Fast forward. She's an influencer. She's an Mm -hmm. author. She's written this book. She's trying to help other people overcome some of the same stuff that she had to go through. I just love that. I I, love those full circle, you know, God using you to make a difference in somebody else's life based on what you went through kind of thing. Right. That sounds like a little bit like our story, my story. I think everyone at some point has those moments where they think like the world would be better without them. Yes. So, you know, that's. It's great. I've had a moment. I've had moments like that. I think we all have. Yeah. I think it's just one of those things that if you live life long enough, you're going to go through some stuff. Life is not easy. Like if somebody has an easy freaking life, they're lying. And that's just what it is. Like, and and it's hard. Yeah. And I think hearing her story, you know, it just, it makes you a little bit more empathetic because when you're out there in the everyday world, like you mm-hmm. never know what somebody's going nope. through Be kind to hear about to how everybody. her dad, you know, yeah. treated her and how her mom treated her. Well, and that's the thing is like, we did know Courtney at that age, but yeah. we did not know that about Courtney. So yeah. it's like, yeah, like what if we were mean to her? Like she's already yeah. getting that from home. So yeah. And I tell the kids that all the time, like be kind to everyone. You never know what their home life is like. You never know what they're going through. Like just be a nice person. It's yeah. not that hard. No, I, I agree. Give people the benefit of the yeah. doubt. Assume that they're going through something really, really challenging, Absolutely. especially when they're being challenging to you. Yeah. Right. Or just so. smile at someone. How about yeah. that? Like a smile goes a long Smiles way. Smiles are free. Well, I thought that was an awesome uh, interview. And thank you, yeah. Courtney, so much thank for being an so excellent much. hope dealer for yes. us. And Jen, if some people, like if somebody's listening right now, they want to hear more about our uh, stories of hope, how do they do so? We are on Hope Radio Podcast on Facebook and on Instagram. They can message us. If you guys have your own story, we'd love to interview you. Yeah. So reach out. And we're on all the socials. So we're all in all the uh, broadcast yeah. platforms. So Spotify. Apple Music, Spotify, Google. SoundCloud. Play, all, all the, the things. 
all the things we're where all you the listen things to we're on all the things all the platforms that's right so just look us up hope radio podcast and i think i think i have a great idea what's your idea i think we should interview someone else tomorrow and i've got a very specific interview i'm gonna do i'm gonna surprise you with it so really yeah look forward to that <gasps> okay here we go let's do it